Crescendo Studio presents The Way Through. In this series, we interview established players in the New Zealand music industry to find out what they do, how they do it, and how they can help emerging musicians and producers on their way through. This podcast was funded thanks to Recorded Music New Zealand. Choice Vaughan, welcome to the podcast. Well, do you prefer choice or do you, do you want to be known as Joel tonight? It's funny. It's funny. That <laughs> it always depends on how people meet me the first time. So yeah. if they meet me in like a production capacity, they're like, oh, choice or oh, Vaughan or what's his name? Because it's a weird production name. Yeah. Everyone that meets me outside of that, I'm like, I'm just Joel, man. Like, yeah. I go by choice form when it's on Spotify, but if people want to call me, that's whatever. So whatever you feel comfortable with. Well, then what would be cool to introduce yourself is tell us about the two personas, Choice Vaughn and Joel. Yeah, for sure. So first of all, thank you guys for having me on. Like, oh, we It's man, an honor to be here. Thank you guys to you, bro. This is actually my first appearance on a podcast. So this wow. Is like, Yo. Yeah, this is pretty special for me too. That's but, crazy. Um, I guess to kick it off, I'm Joel Tashkoff by day. I'm a music lawyer. And whenever else I get the chance, I'm a music producer by the name of Joyce Vaughan. That's pretty much it, really. He uriya hau o Ngāti Hine, me taitanga hauiti, Ngāti Kahunganu, me Ngāti Purotutudu hoki. Yeah, I hail from the far north and the east coast on both sides. Very proud of it. And yeah, that's pretty much me. Kia ora. One of the questions that I had was, what came first, the lawyer or the artist? It's a funny one, actually. I started making beats when I was in law school, so I, I probably should have been going to class. <laughs> and I was at home just playing around on Fruity Loops. Yeah. And I had a flatmate at the time that was like hard out into making beats too, and he's gone on to do some amazing things. And we were just, I don't know, at that age, like that was years ago now, but like when you're at university and you're not quite an adult yet, you've got the freedom to be able to just dive into your, what you discover are your passions. And for me, after my first year of uni, there was a guy that I knew that was like, oh, you know, I got this computer program, you should come over. And literally, it was like my last week in Dunedin, Mm. because I spent (laughs) my first year at uni in Dunedin, my last week there before I moved back home to Wellington, which is where I grew up. And this guy was like, yo, I got this this brand new computer program, you can make your own beats. And he took me around to his house and booted up his computer and showed me Fruity Loops and like he clicked in on the sequencer, the real simple drum pattern, and yep. he was like using stock sounds. But to me, my mind was blown. I'm like, holy shit, though, you can make <laughs> stuff like this no yeah. way yeah. on your computer. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, 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 I'll teach you how to <clears> crack <throat> it. Yeah, you go, like, here's, here's everything you need. It's free, it's free. And I'm like, oh, this is even better. So I, yeah. took, I took that home with me and just got lost in it. Like at that time, I was hard out into like Ninth Wonder, Little Brother, mm. Pete Rock, DJ Premier like all that old sample-based hip-hop, the yep. boom-bap stuff. Right? Yeah. Still, it's in my DNA, I think, stuff that I make. And so I'd just get home from class, yep. just sit at the computer, trying to learn this completely new world that I knew nothing about. I wasn't yep. musically trained. So I was not just learning the software, but I was also learning how to make music, you know. Mm. I, was, I was learning music theory, arrangement, wow. all that sort of stuff, mm. kind of by ear. Trial yeah. and error. Yeah, yeah, Listening yeah. to my favorite stuff, trying to emulate it. Yeah. Like, you know, what most of us do. Yeah. And yeah, eventually I, I like graduated school and went off and worked in other areas and then came back and was lucky enough to land my first legal role at an entertainment law firm. Awesome. And that's what I've been doing for the past three years. You've also been helping out the community. There's a couple of events that um, I brought students to and you've been there. There was also one that you did uh, at the Tuning Fork. Where... Yeah, yeah, that might have been the Music Summit. Yeah, the that, Music um, Summit. Because yep. this is what this whole podcast is about. It's mm. about sharing our knowledge for, I guess, not just the young people that we mentor, but I guess just artists in general who are beginning a career in music. And we're just, I guess, these stories that we're sharing are to kind of help them on, on their way through well, that's what we called it, wasn't it? The way yeah, through. Yeah, the way through. That's <laughs> I mean, yeah. what we, yeah, what we called the podcast. So the the beat making side of things, like, is it money making yet, or is it is it just something you do for a passion? You know, because you got a song out, uh, "To Live and Die in AD." Was it with Mellow yeah, Downs? Yeah, with, with Mellow and uh, yeah. Not, no, I don't know if many people know, but that's actually Tom Scott on that first verse. Like that whole album that we put out mm. was an album with me and Tom. 
Wow. That yeah. for whatever reason came out with my name. Well, Pucky will know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pucky's our, our hip hop thesaurus. So to, <laughs> people that know Homebrew, people that know Avondale Bowling Club and that piece and all that, they know Tom. Yeah. And so it's like very clear that, okay, yeah, this is a Tom record. Yeah. I was messaging Tom today about this and he laughed about it. I, I kind of read it the other way. So that that's funny. I told him, bro, yeah. I get people messaging me saying, oh, man. You know, you sound heaps like Tom Scott from Homebrew, bro. Keep it up, bro. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's him. I did the production. <laughs> it is him. him. It's not me. But did uh, it not start as your beat project? Or, or was it always both of you? So when I when I first moved to Auckland, I started working at Rakino's. Mm-hmm. Probably know Rakino's. Yep, yep. yep. I miss Rakino's, man. (laughs) I feel like an old head reminiscing about that. That's the spot, bro. It was the spot. But I was working at the bar and they had had DJs on that were like, I feel like half of my time there was going up and asking the DJ what they were playing Mm. because I was just so in the zone. And and Tom would come through every now and then. I remember one night he was there and the bar had closed and then a cypher started up um, and he was, you know, doing this thing amazing but like during that night we had mutual friends and he he must have heard some of the stuff i was putting out on soundcloud at the time and he's like oh hey i heard you make beats and my response to that was oh yeah i heard you rap <laughs> knowing full well who he was i'm like yeah this is my favorite rapper at the time i was like fuck this would be mean i'm like yo i should send you some stuff he's like yeah yeah send me some stuff and so this was like 10 years ago and we were sending stuff back and forth, and he'd send me back demos. I'd be like, yo, this is amazing. I'm going to send you some more. And he had some ideas for, oh, why don't you use this drum break and this sample? And I'm like, okay, here's what I did with it. And he's like, yo, this is great. So I went back and forth, and we had like an EP ready to go. And then we thought, oh, let's do an album. You know, it sounds really good. We both like it. And so we had an album. And then for whatever reason, it's like, ah, oh, no, nah, you know, like we'll just put it on the back burner for a little bit. And then we'd pick it up again. Eventually, it got to the point where it came out, mm-hmm. which I'm I'm super proud of. Like to finally get that project that we worked on for literally years yep. back and forth. Yeah, to actually get it out there was really cool. So I think that that AD song with Mellow, yeah, yeah, it resonated quite heavy because it was all about AD, but it wasn't confined to people that are from AD. Mm, Everyone yeah. that had a similar neighborhood that they were that was dear to them yep. resonated yep. with it because mm. it was was talking about the stuff that everybody's got in their own backyard that makes their neighborhood special to them. Like yeah. for Mello and Tom, that's AD, and they were, mm-hmm. they were naming specifics like the dairy owners and, you know, the the, the names of the restaurants that they liked. Yeah. yeah. But everyone's got the dairy owner that they go to. Everyone's mm-hmm. got the restaurant yep. that they go to, yep. you know? So I yep. feel like that was a part of, of its success, and both of those guys killed it, man. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's just not always put into that lyrical form to the point where it's like, you know, really good artists putting that, you know, that picture in your mind about your neighborhood. It's like mm-hmm. everyone would want their thing for their neighborhood yeah. if they could do that. Um, yeah. I suppose in and, and, and a lot of rap, there is that element, but when it's put together on that level. And it was authentic and it was ours. Mm-hmm. It wasn't yep. trying to be anything else. And I think that's what made it so relatable for people <clears> in New Zealand to hear Kiwis talk about things that are just so relatable. Mm. And it was funny, like, I count myself really lucky to be a witness to that process because it started off as Tom having the first verse and then Mallow having the second verse. And mm. then when we were in the session, they had this idea. I think it was Tom that suggested it. It was like, oh, why don't we just go bar for bar on this? Yeah. And so they kind of rewrote one of the verses on that where they were trading lines. And, yeah. you know, like that adds to the, the imagery of what mm. they were talking about. Yeah. So... Is there a parallel for like, um, it was, there was a question that we were talking about, you know, like with being an artist and being a lawyer at the same time. One of the ones that I, that I had was, do you ever meet clients or represent clients that you feel like you're, you're like, I want to collaborate with this person <laughs> and do you use it as your foot in the door? Uh, Have you ever done that? I don't use it as my foot in the door, but I've got friends yep. that are clients and I've got clients that have turned into friends. Yep. Yep. And I'm lucky enough to be exposed to work that is completely across the spectrum from people that are just starting out and know nothing about how the business works mm. to people that are at the very top of the industry, Grammy winners, mm-hmm. consistently working. Their production is on number one selling albums globally. And so there's everything in between as well. That goes into all of that. Mm-hmm. Producers, bands, managers, artists, 
record labels, yep. booking agents, like everything that you can think of, like every aspect of the music industry has some, when it, when it has money involved, yep. that's when there's a need for contracts really. And yep. so that's kind of what my practice revolves around is advising people on how they should be managing their rights and yep. what they should be looking out for, how to protect themselves, <laughs> what's industry standard and what's not. And just general education around, hey, like what is your goal for your career? Yeah. And does this opportunity, if you take it, does it get you closer to that? Or does it potentially put a ceiling mm. on your potential? And being quite pragmatic and practical about the advice that I give. So, I mean, yeah, to answer your question, it, it's not been like a lead for work. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like my production kind of speaks for itself and has opened its own doors. Mm. But it's definitely opened my eyes to, like I knew nothing about this before I started practicing right like i yeah. learned it on the job i was lucky enough to have my managing partner chris hockard who's been doing this for decades literally at one point he was known as chris the lawyer because he was the one giving music advice on bfm for example so mm -hmm. he's been a really valuable mentor to me mm -hmm. i'm really lucky to have had that in my corner and be able to draw from that and then just on the job getting exposed to not just local stuff but global stuff too mm. yeah it's been really cool. Like some of the names that come across my email sometimes, I'm yep. like, holy shit. <laughs> Straight up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yo. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Too. Yeah. Well, you started doing law just to do law. Or did you have an idea about music law at that point? I finished my degree and a friend of mine was working for Sony at the time. And he was like, well, we were catching up over lunch or something. And I was telling him, you know, I've just graduated. I worked in a big firm while I was studying and got exposure to that. And I was telling this friend at the time, like, yo, I don't know what I want to do. Like, I really want to find a way to merge my degree with, you know, my passion for music. Hmm. And he's like, oh, I'll just introduce you to my lawyer. You know, you guys can catch up. He's a real good guy. See what happens. He put two and two together. So shout out to P-Money. Um, oh, no awesome. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I owe a lot to his introduction because I'm, I'm still working for his lawyer. But that didn't happen straight away yeah. because I was fresh out of uni. I didn't have any experience. And at that time, there wasn't a, a chance for me to get involved in the firm because I couldn't really contribute to justify my wage. Mm. So the, the whittle was laid down, go away and get experience and figure out how you can come back and contribute. So I did it. And then I came back, explored that again. And it was just the right timing. Wow. Yeah. Mean. So yeah, it seems so, so obvious now, but Oh, I, and I, I think <laughs> go, I don't I don't want to practice any other type of law. Yeah. Like there are elements of what I do that are outside of music. So like um I can do conveyancing, I can help people buy and sell houses. Mm. Easy. Yeah. Even musicians need that, right? And a lot, a lot mm. of our clients are musicians that are buying and selling houses, you know? Yeah. And just general commercial stuff, fine. Shareholders agreements, all that. But a lot of what I do is just music industry-based stuff. And it's real niche. Like, there's maybe, for music, two other guys in New Zealand, a couple of guys in Australia that like to dabble here and there. Mm. Yeah. Obviously, it's massive in LA mm. and, and New York, you know, the big entertainment capitals of the world, London. Mm. It's pretty big too. You've got big firms that are, all they do are just entertainment. But in, in this part of the country, like, the, the industry is a lot smaller. So there's, there's less people doing it. And it's not like you can learn that at law school. There's no entertainment law course at law school. Nah, you learn like so. basic IP yeah. if you want to, but you mm. know that gets into trademarks and stuff. But no one tells you what goes into a producer agreement. No one tells you what's normal and what's not in a record deal and if you're getting fucked over by the record company or not. Yeah. No yeah. one tells you what should go into a management agreement or when you should be looking for management. Yep. And the, the interesting thing about the entertainment industry as a whole is that talent is there, right? Like you can blow when you're still in high school. Yeah. Yep. And if you blow when you're in high school, yep. there might be money involved. And all of a sudden, can you imagine what you would have done at 17 if you won the lotto yeah. with that money? Yeah, I did. kind of did that. Well, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so you'll be yeah. the perfect, the perfect <laughs> yeah. example for like what that's like, man. Yeah. But there's, there's, no, there's no roadmap for that. Hundred percent, you know, and we're bound by, I guess, yeah, at, at that age, like uh, our upbringing, and like, for example, for myself, there were six different members who were raised differently. So, mm. 
when that type of money comes in, you know, like, yeah, you either know what to do with it or you don't, or you just follow what your perception of like how important looking after money is, you know, based on, yeah, you know, how, how you were raised. I mean, I've, I've heard through the grapevine that you guys were smart about it. Yeah, we, well, well, as a band, yes. Mm. Um, we were very smart as individuals. We, <laughs> we still kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, on, on the law side of things, like what are, what are the most common issues that you're having to resolve? You know, is, is there a pattern there that... Absolutely. Yep. So what I've realized is that there's levels to yep. this, right? Yeah. And at the very beginner level or the, the bottom rung of, you know, the business of music, not so much like musicians in the community as such, mm-hmm. but when you get to a point where there is money involved, there's just a real lack of education around what people should be doing mm-hmm. and the rights that are there that are yours and the standard types of agreements that should really be in place for the different opportunities that you're going to encounter as mm. you continue on your music journey. So a lot of people come to me without the basics of the industry under their belt. Mm. And I, I find it really fulfilling to be able to provide that to these people, Yeah, which is, you know, part of what you, you mentioned earlier that I kind of met me the first time at one of these seminars that I was yeah. doing. Yeah. And those things are really awesome because you get a chance to educate a whole lot of people at once as opposed to just doing it one-on-one in my office, right? When mm. someone realizes that they might have a problem and they come yeah. in and um, they get told that, yeah, it's a big problem and you should have sorted it like two months yeah. ago before yeah. you got too deep. Mm. But the basis of the industry really is that it's all about rights. And as a creative, you've got rights in two types of copyright. You've got rights in the recording mm-hmm. and you've got rights in the underlying composition, which is like the lyrics and the melody. Mm. And those two rights get paid from different sources in in different ways and can be owned in different splits depending on who you collaborated with and, Mm. you know, what sort of arrangements you get into with other people, right? Mm. The thing that really breaks my heart is when people get into contractual situations and they didn't get advice on it, they kind of sight-read it, Mm. and there's so many niche terms in these agreements that if if you didn't have someone advise you on it or if you didn't read a hell of a lot about the industry, you're not going to know potentially the ramifications it has for your career. Mm. And when those people come to me and say, hey, I want you to look over this contract and I look through it and I'm like, thank God you didn't sign this yeah. because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And then they tell me, oh no, I signed it two years ago. How do I get out of it? <laughs> and I'm like, ah, yeah. bro. Mm. It's mm-hmm. like banging my head against the wall. Yeah. If only you knew, or if you had the foresight to know what you didn't know, to then ask someone to help you. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing. And there's like the entertainment industry at large has a, a whole lot of good people yeah. that are really well meaning. And it's got a whole lot of sharks yeah. that are just yeah. Yeah. opportunistic and out there to get theirs. Yeah. Mm. And you've probably seen that, bro. Like, you know what yep, it's like, yep. even just in our local scene. Yeah. You know who those people are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're people of their type, right? <laughs> mm. Well, and, I've, I've saved a couple artists from, from a few of the sharks. Yeah. Mm. But yep, the thing yep. about the sharks is they know how the industry works and they yep. use that to their advantage. That's right. And they slide 100%. things in these deals. And they the deal gets presented, but then the sales pitch comes with it where it's mm. like, oh, no, 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 don't worry about that. You know, we'll take yeah. care of you. Yeah. We'll do this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, that clause is just there to protect us, but we'll never use it. Like, just sign your life away. You're all good. And then all of a sudden, the relationship sours and it goes south. And then the contract is the only thing that's there to protect you. And if it's a dud, there's not much you can do about it if you signed, you know, like, yeah. There's there's no protection against signing a bad deal. Mm. Well, when when we think about that, you know, when, when we were on the topic of sharks, like, some of them are actually really, really good at their jobs. You know, so do you feel like there's any points where it's okay to have, you know, like to, to sign one of those deals for an artist? For example, if if somebody knows that they're not going to make any money off, you know, if they sign the contract with, let's say, a manager or something like that, but they know that that manager is going to get them further than they could do on their own. Is there a fair way of, of that relationship? You know, like, um, I'm not too sure how to ask the question. Like existing. Yeah, but, you know, like, is... Is there a fair kind of like relationship, you know, like in terms of contractually so that you get all the expertise of this person, but mm. you may have to make a few sacrifices? Regardless of what the contract is, 
you need to know the risks involved. If you go into a contract with your eyes wide open, someone's told you what the worst thing is that could happen if you sign this and you're like, I can take that risk. Yeah. And there's that happens down yeah. the line. You've yeah. only got yourself to blame, right? Yeah. I think in any in any relationship, probably in life, but it, you know, it pertains to the music industry too, there's gonna be a value exchange. Yeah. Always. Mm. Yeah. Unless they're your family. But then that's just, you know, the love that you have for your family. You want yeah. them to win. Yeah. But for anyone that is not in that familial relationship to mm. you, there's there's value exchange there. It's mm. someone getting something from you, and in return, you're getting something from them. Yeah. And I think the key thing is is to, to make it as fair as you can get it. Yeah. Mm. So if it's a manager and they have expertise, and you're really really young, you need to look at okay, well, what are the details of this? relationship that you're mm. proposing how much am i actually giving up yeah and how much am i getting and how much am i am i actually getting not just how what, what not just what the sales pitch is mm. but like if i was going to hold you to delivering certain things what are those things yeah what are the things that that person can't get out of yeah when we're thinking about that you know and you having to undo all these contracts what are the exit clauses you know like look like and like you know, like what should an artist expect? What should they, you know, like push for when it comes to that type of things? So that, you know, when they, you know, if they do want to get out of that, for example, like, you know, I, I've been in toxic contractual, mm. you know, agreement and the exit clause was, you know, once again, you know, like being naive and signing a certain contract, you don't, you know, once you understand what you just signed and then you're like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, if I knew I, that, I never would. Yeah, I wouldn't. Mm. I wouldn't. Mm. You know, or I would have done something earlier. For example, when you're contracted to deliver a certain amount of product, like maybe three songs, for example, mm. yeah. that three songs can be over thirty years. It can, you know, like so. It could be one song there. You're still in that contract until three songs. Is that, or correct me if I'm wrong on that. But you know, like that was basically the deal. There it was doesn't <laughs> doesn't matter how long it takes you to get it. But mm. I want my three. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we're getting into the weeds a little bit, and I'm yeah. happy to get detail. But let me just preface, like, yeah, yeah, that yeah. there's no legal advice that I'm offering nah, right now, yeah, right? Totally which is not. great. Complete yeah. disclosure, like yeah. this is education only. Yeah. But yeah. with that being said, if you do have a like the listeners that are listening to this, if you've got a p- specific situation, get in touch because I really want to yeah. help. Mm. But with that sort of stuff that you're just mentioning, but just now, it really depends on the situation. Yeah, it depends on the type of deal that it is, mm. and with who. There are industry standards for recording deals, like with a record label or a distributor. There are industry standards for management agreements. There are industry standards for publishing deals. There are industry standards for booking contracts, Mm. remix deals, contracts with your producers, contracts with people that are guest featuring on your song, Mm. contracts for having your song show up in a commercial or a TV series mm. or a movie. There's all sorts of industry standards that go along with all of these opportunities. And you can go back and forth a little bit on what the commercial terms are. A lot of what my job is, is deciphering exactly what's being offered, seeing whether it weighs up to what we expect the deal of this type to be. If it's a uh, record contract, then we look at, okay, who's giving it to you? Is it a major or is it an indie? Mm. What's the term? How long are you going to be locked up to this thing? And yeah. what are you getting in return? Like, what are you giving up? How long are you giving it up for? Mm. Is it forever? Mm. Perpetuity means forever, by the way. Mm. Yep. Yep. So is it in perpetuity or <laughs> is it just for a certain period of time? Mm. Is it? Does it have a tail to it? So once you're out of it, does it continue for the stuff that you've delivered in that period for another period of time? Yeah. Is it exclusive? Is it non-exclusive? Mm. All these sorts of things go into it. And I'm lucky enough now that I can sight read stuff and just know whether it feels right or not and I know what to look for really fast. Mm. Yeah. You can get overwhelmed by the contracts that get presented to you because they're in size 12 font, yeah. Yeah. funny language. Yeah. It talks about things that if you're not in the industry and have a good understanding of like royalty clauses mm. or how advances work, what recoupment is, all this sort of stuff, it can yeah. just be like, whoa. Yeah. I'll just I'll just listen to the person that's giving it to yeah. you and they'll reassure <laughs> yeah, me yeah, yeah. because I don't want this opportunity to go away because maybe this person is someone that I've looked up to. Yeah. Maybe this person is attached to a company that in my mind, I feel like is going to be the next 
step in my career and I'm going to mm. break through and I've been sold the dream and I don't want this opportunity to go mm. away. I'm desperate mm. for it. Like I yep. might not get another one. You know, like right. that's the sort of energy sometimes that people approach these deals with. And, yep. and sometimes I'm there to be like, okay, well, first of all, amazing that this opportunity has been presented to yep. you. You've earned it. You've obviously got momentum that makes people interested in what you're doing and that is something to be proud of. Let's have a look and see what they're actually offering. Yeah. Yeah. And let me break it down to you, like clause by clause, exactly what you're getting yeah. and what you're giving up. I want to make sure we get some like real basics out of this, you know, like little little snippets that we can kind of sign off and put that to the side and go, yeah. right, let's just <clears throat> roll with that. Have you ever met an artist that had the capability to read and sign their own contract? start to finish do you know what there's actually an artist that i'm advising right now she could be a lawyer if she wanted to she could be a music yeah. lawyer Whoa. she's she's young yeah i think it's her first deal but she has gone through this agreement and she picked up on mistakes that i missed because I, I just glazed over them yeah mm. and there were small things like paragraph numbers and stuff mm. which yeah. you kind of just you know filter out but <laughs> that takes a lot of detail to absolutely. get to that level yeah. absolutely and if, if she just had a real basic understanding of what was standard and what wasn't and how mm. things are supposed to work she'd be amazing yeah there are yeah there are people that are very engaged in the process and want to know how things work they yeah. want to understand what their obligations are and if they're an artist you know you have to pay your producers you have to pay your featured artists you have to pay your session musicians out of your pocket it doesn't mm. come out of the label's pocket mm. or the distributor's pocket they really want to know why they want to know how it works and then there are others that just want to put their head in the sand i've had artists where there's been a management agreement that i thought was kind of dodgy and i broke it down and they were trying to convince me that it wasn't dodgy <laughs> because of what they've been told from their manager yeah and i just at that point i'm like my job is to advise you it's, it's not to force you to drink this water that i've led you to yeah but mm. that that's really, really tough when you can see what's going on mm. and you can see that they're being fed one thing in one ear and then I'm trying to tell them what their actual agreement says in the other ear and, mm. and it's obviously really difficult for them to try and reconcile the two. Mm. A lot of the times I come off as the bad guy. I feel like I'm the Grinch yeah. in certain situations. Because yeah, you're, you're to, deflating the, yeah. the balloon. But that, that's why yeah. it's so important <laughs> to talk up. Like if you get something yeah. that – on the surface they're so excited about yeah gas that shit up first yeah because it yeah. is like it's a it's a cause for celebration to even be recognized for certain deals yeah but then you got to think of okay is it the right deal for you right now mm. Mm. or is it just a, a box tick that yeah you're on the right track and you need to keep going for what the actual opportunity for you is that's going to potentially launch you yeah mm. yeah i got a quick question for you bro so like i guess it's kind of just like prevalent in hip-hop what about when it comes to like handshake deals are those binding <laughs> i've just seen so many people say oh you know yeah we just had good faith in each other and you, like you said the deal sours and then it's like kind of left in limbo you know what yeah I mean? I mean like at a at a legal contract level there there are verbal agreements that hold weight yeah there's there's elements that you need but if those elements are there and mm -hmm. you can prove that they're there then you know you got a binding contract but mm. <laughs> i think especially with hip-hop, and I've experienced this firsthand, mm. you know, being in the community, especially at the, the indie level, yep. it is all handshake stuff because yep. you're working with your friends mm. and you're just trusting that the relationship is going to stay tight. Mm. And I've, I've still got stuff that's out there released on handshake and is probably going to stay handshake. Mm. I'm not going to bother putting it in writing, but I know the risk involved in that and I'm happy with that. There's a few like legal technicalities about copyright and who owns it. Like the Copyright Act goes into a little bit more detail in that. And mm. you need any, like, if someone's going to give you their rights in a yep. bit of music, yep. it needs to be in writing yep. by New Zealand law. Yep. So you can rely on the handshake for as long as the relationship's solid. But like yep. you said, sometimes shit goes south, mm. Mm. especially when money gets involved. Yeah, bro. If it's big yeah. money too, then yeah. all of a sudden they could they could be your family. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And then now it's like, whoa, hey, you're you're about to get paid, paid. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure I was a big part of that. <laughs> yeah, so, split set. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, maybe I should be asking for a little bit more. And that ruins relationships sometimes. It makes it really hard on 
whoever it is that has got this massive opportunity from a third party. For example, right, if you get offered a major record deal or any record deal, that record label is going to have a clause in that contract that pretty much gets you to promise that you own all of the rights in anything that you deliver to that record label. There's no samples. There's no third parties that you haven't contracted with. And if the record label gets sued because you didn't contract someone, you're promising to stand in front of their costs. That's like standard contract yeah. 101 stuff. Yeah. People are happy just handshaking it at a certain level because mm. maybe they don't think they're going to blow. But what happens if you go viral on TikTok and then yeah. all of a sudden a major label from the States is offering you a bag for the song? Yeah, that's it. And then mm. the producer on your song is like, oh, you're getting a bag? Yeah. Oh, we We're, getting a bag. Yeah, yeah, the, the <laughs> bag. <laughs> we getting a bag, yeah, right? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And all of a sudden, like something that might have cost you the producer's usual fee, mm. he, he has the potential if he wants to be a dick about it to mm. hold you to ransom for that. Yeah. yeah. You just don't want those problems, you know? So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a risk analysis thing. That's like the worst thing that can happen. But it does happen. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it might not be that big. It might be, oh, this, this movie wants to use your song. Taika Waititi wants to use your song in his new movie because he yeah. loves it. And it's like, oh my, like that's a great opportunity, right? Like no one would turn that down from yeah. New Zealand, mm -hmm. especially with the connection to Taika, just, you know, using him as an example. But if you've got other people on your song that are like, oh, you know. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Or if you've got people who are like, oh yeah, sweet, let's go even splits. Mm. Yeah. And it's like, well, hey, hang on, bro. You just played the triangle on that shit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got you in yeah. for a day, but... <laughs> Legally, you have yeah. rights in that that need to be cleared that haven't been cleared. Like, yeah. you know, those sort of awkward situations can happen yeah. and potentially mm. ruin opportunities, which is really stink. Yeah. Well, you were talking about how some industries have standard contracts or somewhat that, that you can reference from. Is that correct? In terms of like music royalties or, or what some people are kind of expecting to get. Is that, is that such a thing? Yeah, so there's there's standards to what you should be giving up and getting in certain situations, right? Like if yeah. you're working with a producer, for example, if you're a young artist and you're working with a beat maker or a producer, there's a standard producer contract template, really. Yeah. It covers these particular things, X, Y, Z. And then you're really arguing about, well, not arguing, you're just discussing mm -hmm. what, what are the commercial terms involved in that. Do you want a fee? Do you want me to pay you up front? Or are you happy splitting things on the back end? Mm. What does that split look like? Mm -hmm. What's standard for the type of music that you're making? Like for hip hop, for example, there's a lot of beat makers that send beats out, mm -hmm. finished beats, mm -hmm. and then rappers write rhymes, verses to it, and just merge the two together. So it's like, it's more 50-50 yeah. than a situation where you've got a pop artist who doesn't write their own songs, who's mm. coming into a studio session with a songwriter and mm. a producer. The mm. songwriter is coming up with the melody and the lyrics. The producer's helping with that, but also bringing together the arrangement and all of the instrumentation involved. And then you've got the artist that has the performance, you know, their vocals on the record. So it's, it's more collaborative and there's mm. different ways that you can split those things. So yeah, there are, there are set standards for different types of situations, really. Yeah. And then you just sort of you know, discussing about who should get what. Yeah, numbers that kind of float around. So where I was going with that is that we see employment contracts like all the time, right? So like even uh, part-time, full-time employment and normal jobs. It's like you're just signing up to some job and we all get super familiar with those terms mm. and we expect to see certain things, you know, like what annual leave you're entitled to, your sick pay, yeah, yeah. all of those types of things. Because we have how many jobs throughout the years, you learn to see that, you know, mm. what happens if, you know, theft and all these standard things, but we only know them because we're familiar with them. Mm. So when someone sees a music contract, it's like, you've literally never seen one before. Mm. You don't know any of those terms. If you've seen it 20 times and you can read it and you know what you're getting, mm. that's the difference. Yeah. Right. So it's like, that's the reason you don't represent yourself in court. Right, because yeah. you just don't know what did the judge just tell me. You just don't know. That's <laughs> yeah. why you get a lawyer. Yeah, right. Because yeah. you're just gonna probably get much, you know, worse than what you could have got if you talked to someone that you knew. That's a really, right? a really solid analogy. Because I remember when I first started, and the first thing I learned how to do was producer agreement. So the agreement between the producer and the artist. Mm -hmm. That 
<laughs> fuck that shit was like gibberish to me first like yeah. when i first started looking at them it was like small as font and the american ones in particular are really verbose because they have to cover themselves for so many different angles of someone trying to break the contract or you know they're so worried about getting sued over there because mm, that's yeah. the culture and it took me so long to get my head around what was going on first and foremost but you know i was trained to to figure them out and, and the more that I did them, now I can look at an American agreement and I can probably go through it in maybe 10, 15 minutes. Mm. Whereas it would have taken me like an hour, two hours. Mm. Yeah. And then I still probably didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now because yeah. I know where to look. I know what standard and then I can spot what's not and I can spot mm. what's missing. And that's the thing. I think that's the benefit of getting someone who's an expert in that field. You know, it doesn't have to be a lawyer. Ideally, if you're wanting like that representation then you know get yourself an entertainment music lawyer mm. but managers that are doing this and have been doing this for so long they've seen these things too so mm. they, they know what to look for people that work at labels they see these things all the time so they know pretty much what to look for mm. although yep. some label contracts that i've seen have been absolutely booty like <laughs> i don't know who's been altering or editing them or whatever but it's um yeah i mean this is what i do my, it's my nine to five yep. or like i'm reading contracts all day yeah. Some might think that's boring as hell. Yeah. But it's it's like puzzles. Well, it's a very important mm. part of being a musician, being mm. an artist. And, you know, like when you're when you're thinking career wise, mm. you know, like even myself today, I've been very fortunate to have people like you in my corner to where I've been able to just focus on the creative side and just let somebody else sort out the stuff where I'm like, Oh, you know, go see Joel. <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> I want to have the fun part over here. Yeah, yeah. Go see Joel. <laughs> and that's the thing. Some people just want to, they just want to be creative. They don't want to get bogged down in when they're going to get paid or if they're getting paid correctly yeah. or what happens mm. if someone didn't do what they said they were going to do. They just want to make music. And that's fine. Yeah. That is absolutely fine. Mm. But if you don't, if you don't want to learn how that stuff works, just get someone that knows how it works and can do it for you, really. Mm. Mm. Listening to you, it's, it is quite what I expected, right? Because we just don't have the education to work proactively because still the music contract thing and having this like global reach is still quite new to a lot of the beat making community as, as well, like in New Zealand. We're wanting to make it so that people can live that way. So when we're talking about your like reactive law, when you're going, oh, why'd you sign this contract? Like, you know, do you look at the proactive side of things and how can we address and spread the word? Like how do people start looking at whether their music is worthy of moving into that next step? That's a really interesting question. I think if you're serious about music as a career, if this is what you want to do and you want it to make money for you, you need to start thinking about getting your business in order. Every artist is a small business. You're going to have expenses. You're going to have like profit and loss. Hmm. You might be operating at a loss for the first few years of your career like many of us do. But eventually, you're going to start getting some income coming through. And the thing with the music industry is that you never know when you're going to just skyrocket. Mm -hmm. It's like winning the lotto, honestly, yep. from what I've seen. Do you have the right structures in place to be able to handle that? Like you, you talked a lot about proactive versus reactive, which I, I'm all for because a, a lot of what I find myself doing in my day-to-day -day is trying to get people to think about being proactive about things. I think a lot of it comes down to as well just basic education. A lot of people don't get advice on stuff because they just simply don't know. They don't know how important it is. I didn't know when I first started making beats. Mm. I was I was stealing soul samples and not yeah. clearing them. I never yeah. will because, you know, they'll never give it to me for a reasonable amount of money. And I was chopping them up, putting them out, selling them to people. I yeah. didn't have the right to sell them to people. But it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think once you figure out or someone teaches you or you actually proactively go and learn how this sort of stuff works, then it opens your eyes to like the actual music business because it, there, there is the music industry and then there's the music business like the big beast behind the scenes that is all commercial and it's 
you know, makes billions of dollars a year for these mm. big companies. Mm. And if making a living out of your music is, is your goal and your aim and you don't just want to be a hobbyist that makes stuff for yourself in your bedroom, like if you want to put stuff out and whatever your goals are to that end, then I think you have to treat yourself like a business. You know, you got to have a business plan. Yeah. Well, what I find quite interesting is that no one's going to really care much about what you do until it starts turning a profit. Mm. And well, they'll just leave you and leave you and leave you alone until they have a reason yeah. to yeah. track you down. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, but I've already done this and done that and I've done all this work behind the scenes and yeah. it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Mm. And yes, there is an, an avenue for making huge gains in your career doing things incorrectly mm. but there have been bands in new zealand bands and groups that have like suffered from just one hit on a copyright infringement mm. and the entire album's profit is gone and it's like the end of that group so many stories about that right like not clearing samples or not clearing interpolations of compositions yeah. mm. you're at the mercy of whoever owns that yeah, and I mean, talking about being proactive, you know, that almost happened to myself <laughs> with the boys and uh, where our DJ at the time who was creating one of the beats, he just saw a, an old record in, in his brother's collection mm. and was just like, nobody's going to know who that is. The band was called Style Council. They were worldwide. It was just that he didn't know who that was. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't mean the rest of the world did. So, you mm. know. Being proactive, we made sure to get in contact with, you know, the names that were on the record, got the sample cleared, but that would have been a massive boo-boo. Like <laughs> if, had we just gone along and just went, nah, it'll be fine. Mm. But what I've learned recently is, is it the essence of a song that, that gets you, you know, like when somebody is able to go, that is, is this. So when they listen to your song, they hear the sample and they go, hang on a minute, that is from a different song or something like that. So there's two elements to it, two main aspects. One of them is the recording. Like, did you actually use a recording that someone else owns? Yeah. Mm. If you take something off wax, that's someone else's recording, Yeah. right? Yeah. The other thing is, did you use the melody or lyrics that someone else wrote? Yeah. Mm. If you use the recording, then you've already automatically used the melody. Yeah. And if you use yep. the recording with the lyrics on it, then you've already automatically used the lyrics. Yep. But if you just hear something on a record and like, oh, I like that melody and I like that lyric, I'm going to use that and build a song around it. Mm. You still need to clear that with the yep. person that owns the rights to that melody and lyrics. Yeah. But you talk about essence, and this this came up. I don't know if it came up, but it, it reminds me of um, the Ed Sheeran case that was in the news recently. And I don't know the specifics of it off top, but from memory there was an argument where there's only so many progressions in modern pop music yeah. that actually work. Yeah. You're going to have the same chord progression as someone 100%. else. You might have the same melody because you're, you you know you might be using the same scale, but mm -hmm. there's only so many scales in Western music that sound good to our ears. So you're oh. going to inadvertently, maybe, yeah. use the same melody that someone else has. Yeah. Hmm. But if you've gone away and you've actually taken a melody, yeah. Yeah. and you know you've taken a melody, then you run the risk of that person finding out. Yeah. And if your song goes nuts, like there's a Juice World song a couple of years ago that went number one, I think, and the producer interpolated a Sting song. Ah. Uh, didn't clear it because. Oh, I know the way he took it. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know if he knew that. Like, I think he thought he got around it by not actually using the recording. He just yeah. played the same melody and yeah. then you know did it with different instruments and thought yeah. it should be fine. But I remember seeing it on Twitter and he was complaining about it. The producer was complaining about Sting kicking up a fuss. Right. And then Sting came back and was like, hey, thanks for putting my kids through college <laughs> with this one song. I've been doing this yeah. for a very long time. Yeah. 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 You know? And that would have put his kids through American yeah. college, not yeah. just New Zealand yeah. college, but that would have paid that all off. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of money involved in going number one. Yeah. But mm. like I said earlier, you're, you're taking a risk if you don't clear it and then you're at the mercy of that person who might find out who owns it. I think Lil Nas X with Old Town Road, used a Nine Inch Nails sample. Trent Reznor owned it, or he owned part of it or whatever. Didn't make as big of a fuss of it as Sting did, mm. and it was amicable. They probably both ate on the back end. Um, but, you know, if you're an artist and you're taking beats from producers, 
usually in that producer agreement that you have, there's a promise that that producer hasn't sampled anything from anyone else. Mm. And if they have mm. and you get sued by it, mm. it's the producers it's the produce. that stand in front of that. I was just about to ask mm. about that because I guess that's what we're seeing at the moment is that a lot of artists who are looking for beat makers, you know, they, they just have to, you know, like risk whether that beat maker has sampled something or not. People have sent me songs saying, if you listen closely to the back of this, it's a sample from, you know, an Asian song, you know, and I'm like, yeah, that is, I don't think that beat maker realizes what they've done, you know, so that's what I was going to ask, you know, the, the whole clause about, you know, uh, because it's the artist that gets in trouble if, if they don't clear that, right? Because the artist's name is on it. That's yeah. right. Yeah. They're the easiest person to chase. Mm. <clears throat> and if someone came to me and was like, oh, hey, the artist has sampled my song and I, they didn't clear it with me mm. and they're not paying me. And I've, yeah. you know, I've reached out to them and they just ghosted me. What can yeah. I do? My first tip would be, let's just take the shit down yeah. because you can. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. You know, depending on if it's like signed to a label, all of a sudden the label's like, oh my God, our investment is no longer live on the internet. What can we do to mm. fix this? Let's yeah. cut a deal with this person. Yeah. But if it's just like a local artist and it's like, hey, all of the marketing that I put into this song is for nothing because yeah. it's no longer on the internet. Yeah. Because I didn't clear this shit. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't cost anything to take a song down. Yeah. You just have to prove that you've got the rights to something that's in that song. Yeah. So when someone's in that position where they think they're onto something and so they've released a version of it and it's kind of just on like socials and SoundCloud and, you know, free platforms hasn't mm. gone on to like a monetized anything. Can they come to you? And say, hey, look, I've got the song. This is where I got the the bits and pieces from. Like, am I clear? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we give that type of advice all the time. Best practice, really, is making sure you get like that commitment from that producer that whatever they're giving you is sample free. And if it's not, like, clearly disclose what samples are in there and mm. who, like, what song did you use? Who was the artist? to give the artist the chance to go and clear it if they want to take that risk and still going ahead with that song or not. Yeah, like if you're a producer, you should, and you're, sam you're using samples, be upfront about it. Like don't, don't try and pull the wool over people's eyes. Mm, yeah. It's just a bit of a dick move. But if, yeah, if you're an artist or even if you're a producer and you don't know what your rights are, that's what, that's what my job is for. Like I'm, mm. I'm an advisor. I give yeah, advice yeah. on mm. this stuff. Like I'm an expert at it so you don't have to be, you know? The crazy thing is paying for the expertise to go through that process like one time will teach you so much, so much. for that, yeah. you know, somewhat small investment. Mm. But if you're planning on your career paying you for years to come or even like a living wage, you're talking about the investment and in getting something cleared or a contract looked over for the sake of potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars if you're expecting to live off your music, hmm. you know, if you're, if you're expecting to get six, eight hundred, a thousand dollars a week off your music, eventually you need to like invest something. Mm. Yeah. It's a business expense. Yeah. You're, yeah. Like I said before, you're a business, mm. yeah. you know, but I understand that it's cost prohibitive for a lot of people. Mm. Like I'm not cheap. Mm. Yeah. I know that. Mm. No lawyers are cheap. So, so getting a chance to do things like this, we were just around a table talking about these situations mm. in an easy to digest way. Hopefully some people are going to go away having learned a little bit more about the industry and maybe if they come into a situation where they realize, hey, I actually don't know enough here. And then that is what triggers them to come and talk to someone like me. Mm. Yep. I think that's job done, right? Like for this yep. sort of stuff. Mm. That, that's why I do those seminars because I want to try and upskill just a real basic understanding the the essentials that you need to know if you're active in this industry. Mm. If you don't want to get fucked over, you know. Excuse yeah. my, yeah. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. Are you going to bleep that out? My bad. What I was going <laughs> to That's all good. No, <laughs> that, that, that is legit, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's real. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I was going to ask was like on the, when, when we're talking about like, you know, this the, the sting thing and um, when artists are sampling <clears> music, <throat> I guess I, I want to try and come from the other side. There's, this might be something that's specific to New Zealand. Is there a way to, you know, for example, there's a song that's been sampled and then it was a handshake agreement for, you know, the person who had used the beat that had sampled it. 
the agreement was like, okay, look, we don't want to hurt your career or your chances of, you know, earning any money if you're going to earn any. Is it a good idea to say to these people like, look, we'll wait till you reach a certain amount of money, then we'll start talking about splits. Is there a way to, I guess, when you when you think about like aggregators and then you've got things like APRA, you know, that, that collect royalties, is there a way, like, if you're on the other end, can you negotiate with an artist and say like, look, I'll take this side and not that side? Absolutely. Like, bro, you, you can agree to whatever you want, really. Yeah. There'll be a standard with what usually happens yeah. and what is a fair exchange. You can vary that yeah. to your heart's content. So, yeah, and I'm, I guess what I'm trying to ask is what, what would that standard be? Like, is, is, is there a standard for that? or um, For sample clearance? Well, for like, let's say um, if I've made a song yeah, and then somebody's gone along and sampled it and, well, a beat maker has sampled it. Yeah. An artist has jumped on it. You're getting some free legal advice. And then right they. Yeah, I see. <laughs> I see. We're getting, yeah. 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 Well, so my they, friend is yeah. on the song. Yeah. Yeah. What would happen hypothetically? Yeah. My man. Well, um, you know, and then what what happens there? Like, my thing is, is like, it is so confusing with like the different. You, you summed it up earlier to like, you know, there's the, the, rec- the copyright or the, like, sorry, the written work. And then there's the recording. Mm. Yeah. But then there's, you know, like there's there's so many different, you know, like once you get an aggregator on board, then you're dealing with, you know, like YouTubes and Spotify's and titles mm. and all of this. Like there's there's so many different incomes, you know, like, although it's going to the aggregator then coming to you. Like, yeah, like what, what do you do, you know, with a complicated situation like that? So first step is to figure out who owns what. Yeah. Um, because you might be part of a band. And that band signed that stuff to a label, and the yeah. label actually owns the recording. Yeah. You don't own the recording. Yeah, the label owns the recording. Yeah, so you can't talk about the recording on behalf of the label. The label is the one that needs to clear it, right? Yeah. yeah. If you're a songwriter with all of your other co-writers, you need to get everyone else on board mm-hmm. in order to agree to whatever it is that's going to move forward with the person that has sampled your stuff. So the the person that sampled it needs to look at okay, first of all, how do I find out who owns what? which can be a task in itself. Mm. And there are like sample clearance experts that go out and do this and we do it as well. And we know where to look and who to contact and we use our industry connections to try and figure out who owns what, right? Mm. Once you figure that out, then you've got to get clearance on both sides. So in that example that I just said, let's say the label owns it, owns the recording of it, and the songwriters still share the composition underneath that recording. You need to clear the recording with the label and the label might have certain demands. And then you also need to clear the composition side of that song with mm. each and every one of the writers. And I might writers. only take one writer who might only have 1% in that song to say, mm. nah. Yeah. And it screws the whole thing up. Mm. So it's quite a delicate process, sample clearance sometimes. Sometimes you might be dealing with like deceased estates mm. where you've got the families of these amazing artists that just are really protective over their work and they're not yeah. going to let it go for exorbitant fees. But yeah, it's different every time. Yeah, It comes down to who owns what and then what people's budgets are. Because if the song doesn't get cleared and everyone can live with it, it's like, okay, we might have spent a little bit in lawyer's fees on that one with nothing to show for it. Yeah. Mm. Or uh, he's got a little budget, at least we can get paid something. Yeah. yeah. If we like the kid, we might say yes and go ahead with it. Yeah. Mm. And then we're yeah. just waiting on, you know, everyone else to say yes to and hoping mm. that the label doesn't try and big boy it. You know, <laughs> yeah. Which and can you still got to make your money back. Yeah. yeah. In that situation, everybody's got different motives, right? Like the songwriters might have a personal connection to this new work and they might want to see this young kid, if it's a beat maker that's used the sample, they might want to see him win. Yeah. Mm. The label might not give two hoots about that. Yeah. Mm. They just want to get paid. Yeah. And if they can't get what they need to cover their legal costs and getting this cleared, they're just going to say, nah, get your money out. Mm. Mm. Interesting. I was just thinking about your law career and your music production kind of going side by side. Is there a point where they kind of crossed over and, and worked together? And you yeah, realize, I mean, I, I oh, I'm like my helping myself, you know? Yeah. I do my own agreements for myself. Well, like the first times where that kind of happened, where you're like, damn, I've got both sides of this. Okay. The, the first time I ever did a negotiation on my music, I wasn't actually a lawyer yet. I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about it. No, nah, but around the. But yeah. 
I, I managed to negotiate a settlement for the use of my song that I didn't clear. Oh. Mm. And I found my leverage. And because I didn't really care for the person on the other side, mm. I like lent into that hard <laughs> and pretty much made their situation not that comfortable. And I got paid. And I was like, yo, this is how it works. This is mean. But that's that taught me about leverage because leverage isn't always about what's in the contract. It's about the ramifications of what could happen to this person's career if you apply pressure in certain ways. What's it going to do to them? Can they put up with it? Are they willing to hit, take that loss or you know, deal with that pressure for that period of time? Yeah. Are there other people involved that you can make their lives bad yeah. That is going to put pressure on this person and ruin those relationships. And they don't, you know, they value those third party relationships mm. more than they value the money that you're asking for to clear it. So that's quite a, it's, it's not the nicest way to look at it, but that situation taught me a lot about that process when you have to really put your foot down and you don't really care about, like, the song could come down and you're happy with that as a worst case scenario. <coughs> but, yeah. but you're willing to push it. And the agreements, are they organic or is it something that, you know, you know, you as the producer, when you're working with an artist, is that how you begin the relationship and like, does it affect how, how things, I guess, go from there? Or is it just something that you go, you know, I, I just want you to know this is what I do and this is my standard. And if you're not okay with that, then you don't work with them or mm. like, how does that work? It's funny because what's happened now is I'll be in sessions with people and we'll get to like a discussion of whether they've got their paperwork in order for the rest of their songs on the mm. album mm. because it helps me talk about what I'm going to do. And like, you know, have you papered stuff with other producers? You know, mm. what's your process here? And they might not have. And then <laughs> I kind of just get my educator's hat on and I yeah, become the advisor advice. on the whole Yeah, thing. like I'm <laughs> like, okay, bro, like, this is what <laughs> you need to do for everyone else to protect you. Like I'm yep. going to give you something too. You need to go and get your own independent advice on what I give you. You know, I'm a lawyer. Like, I can't act for you and act mm. for myself at the same time. It's a conflict mm. of interest. Yeah. But, yeah, it's funny. In, in sessions, we might have, you know, just been chatting at the start of a session before we get into the creative or maybe after we've finished a session and we're just, you know, packing up and we start talking about this sort of stuff. And it's mm. more and more often I find myself, I work with my friends, right? Like, I work with people yep. that I actually like being around. I get mm. the luxury. Like, I don't have a lot of time with my music compared to someone that does it all day, every day. Mm. So I have to be very selective about who I work with. Mm. So I work with people that I like. I work with people that I get along with. And mm. I'm just lucky enough that I'm at a level now where I can get paid for it as well. Mm. But I find myself freely just giving game to these people. Yo. Because I want to see everybody protected. Like, like yeah. I said earlier, it's about getting that baseline of, of knowledge of how the business works. Mm. Yeah, I find it hard to escape, to be honest. Like I think you'll you'll realize as an artist when you get to a certain level in the industry and you're working with producers that are working producers that are able to pick people that will pay them mm. and they don't have to do stuff for free, they've got set terms. Mm. Like if you get in a session with them, you know what the deal is. Mm. You know how much you're going to be out of pocket up front. You know what they're going to be requesting on the back end with the royalty. You know what credit they want, all that sort of stuff. It, it shouldn't be a secret if someone's going to charge you proper professional rates. You yeah, need to yeah. know what those are before you go in. And yeah. it shouldn't be awkward. It's like, oh, yeah, cool. Well, what's your rate? Like, I really want to work with you. Mm. That rate might change. Yeah. yeah. But usually they'll, they'll size up the situation and what it means for them and, you know, the opportunity cost of working with you over working with whoever else they've got on that week and they'll figure out what the fee is and they'll let you know. And if you can afford it, then jump in the session and lock that shit away on the back end with an agreement. Mm-hmm. Have you like um had any like kind of people come to you and try to work with you and like bring some kind of like janky kind of like paperwork and they don't realize what you actually do? <laughs> like, have you had anyone try and do that and like try to be on some shiesty shit and you've just been like straight up? <laughs> I see um, what you're doing here. Yeah. Nah, uh, nah, I don't think so. I'm trying to rack my brain. <laughs> like, I've I've actually I've looked over like an old distribution. Like one of my instrumental projects that I put out ages ago went yeah. through this random distributor. And then they updated their terms and conditions not too long ago. 
and I was like, oh, I know what these are now. I'm, mm-hmm. actually, I'm curious. Like, it must you know. be so buzzy just so, like yeah. being able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I click into this because they, they, the way that they did it was like, oh, we've updated our terms and conditions by clicking OK, you agree to them. Uh, and, you know, by using our, continuing to use our service, you agree to our new terms and conditions. Yeah. Right? So I'm like, oh, this seems shady. I'm going to have a look. Had a look. And the new terms and conditions were them pretty much getting the exclusive rights to anything that I made during the term of the agreement. Whoa. And the, the term of the agreement was ongoing from the time that I would have clicked that button saying, I agree. And legally, I don't know if they would have gone through with it, but legally they would be able to say, hey, this yeah. thing that you agreed to says that we have the right to distribute all of your work. Yeah. And they just sneak it through like that. Yeah. Because you click that button. Yeah, who reads the T's and C's from wow. the distributor? Damn. Yeah. Well, I do, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm mm. just wondering about like your music direction <clears throat> and what you're doing now and like other other two careers moving in the same trajectory. Because you've done some pretty sick projects mm. and there's some really cool stuff coming out. And then it's like, but uh, being a lawyer is an absorbing job that you yeah. know, take, takes a lot of work to get into that position. Yeah. I mean, like the law definitely takes up majority <laughs> of my time during the week. Like that's my day job. That's my nine to five. I've actually got a studio in the law firm, like Yo. a fully sound treated room, all my gears in there. Fire. So I'm really fortunate to be able to, <laughs> the, the place that I spend most of my time during the day is also the place that I spend most of my time at night. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'll go home. Um, you know, I got, a, I got a young family, so I'll, I'll be a dad, put the kids to bed. I'll be a husband, and then when I get time, I can come out in the in the evenings and do mm-hmm. sessions and stuff. So I'm a night owl for music. Daytime is either law or family. But yeah, I mean, I think I'm really enjoying what I'm doing in the legal side of things. I'm still kind of establishing myself, and and I still think I've got work to do to get my name out there so people know that they can come to me. And just with music, I'm I'm really enjoying working on r&b really like lately it's been a lot of r&b stuff a lot of collaborative sessions like i was part of the del maori song hubs but all of the talent around that and making del maori waiata and the kaupapa Mm. around that was amazing Mm. and being able to take those songs that we wrote during that week and finish them and get them to a point where they're ready to release that was really cool because i used to be a beat maker right Mm. i used to make beats in my bedroom <coughs> or in the little home studio that I had in the lounge and I'd send beats off to rappers that I liked. Sometimes they'd send stuff back. Sometimes they'd ignore me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but now it's more, hey, I've got a studio space. Like I've got a vocal booth. I've got a mic. I can record you. I can be an engineer. I can be mm-hmm. a vocal producer, yeah. which is you know, a different set of skills altogether. Yep. And we can collaboratively come up with something that taps into what we're both feeling and we're both engaged with Mm -hmm. as opposed to me catching a vibe by myself and hoping that it connects with someone else. Mm -hmm. So I've I've really been enjoying that lately. It's been really cool. I suppose it's such a good balance at the end of the day if you're going to do both, you know, to just switch from the more academic side to the creative side and be able to use both together. It's a really fascinating combo. I'm the only entertainment lawyer that I've come across yeah, that sure. is active in both still. Yeah, Some people yeah. were musicians or have been in bands or, you know, they're, they've got their feet in other parts of the industry, like their managers or they own a record label or something, or they're just yeah. fans of music. But especially this part of the world, I don't think there's anyone that's like active in the industry yeah. working <laughs> as a musician as yeah. well as being a, an entertainment lawyer. It's, it's, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. It's very cool. And I just think it's good for people to hear about as well because we're trying to introduce people to these ideas of, you know, the different sides of the industry, Mm. but also different pathways and how they can be connected and you can do both at the same time Mm. and and also the same, like you haven't lost anything by going to study a degree in something different because you, you know, you kept the passion alive beside it, Mm. you know, and that's one quite good piece of advice you can do both it's nice to see an example of that Mm. people just like nah i'm just gonna dedicate everything to you know and just Mm. i'm gonna make it in music there's a lot of people with that same ethos right yeah but i i I respect that i I respect it but you're you're another example of 
a more fascinating combination of of the two coming out different mm-hmm. and and we're sitting here going it's so rare and it's like well why is it so rare true yeah i mean i guess there's ways to make it work if you're persistent enough with it i think and i could never shake music like i took breaks there were times where i'm like ah you know i'd rather watch movies or i'd rather travel i'd rather do other stuff or life just got in the way and i Mm -hmm. I wasn't making beats for big periods of time but i'd always come back to it and like for the past few years i've been more consistent with it and i've reaped the rewards of it which has been really cool but i think that's the big thing for like young creatives doing anything or just young people with Mm -hmm. dreams Mm -hmm. just be persistent be consistent and be determined And you only fail when you give up. Yeah. And there's so many examples of, of people that cracked it late. Like you don't have to be the 19-year-old sensation straight out of high school that shoots straight to the, the pros. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. <clears throat> it's, yeah. You know, and some people are built like that. Mm. But you, you could be a Bill Withers. Yeah. Working on jets until his 30s. Maybe his <laughs> 40s. I can't remember. Yeah. But until like later in life, comparatively for a musician. And then now he's Bill Withers. Yeah. Mm. You know? And there's also like, you know, like how do you measure success? Like what does success look like to you? You know, is it that you want to blow up and be this, you know, like this, I guess, well-known celebrity or is success to you that you're living off music? Bro, I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, you know. I'm so glad you said that because I ask that to all of the young people that come into me. Yeah. Especially if it's their first deal. Mm. I tell, I ask them that. I'm like, what, what is success for you? Do you want to be like LMP, world famous in New Zealand? Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you have goals of winning a Grammy? Yeah. Do you want to tour the world or do you just want to make a living off of music? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get yeah. that a lot. And I say, okay, well, you can go and, and work security at a nightclub if you want, do music gigs. You're working in the industry. You're yeah. making mm-hmm. a living off of the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I want to make a living off my music. Okay, cool. Go and do jingles for commercials. Mm-hmm. Yeah get paid that way oh no 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 you start to refine what it really is yeah yeah Yeah. you know and then once you figure out what that really is then all of a sudden you've got a compass bearing to the decisions that you make Mm. and is this this, is this opportunity going to move me closer to my goal is it a sideways move or is it potentially going to put a ceiling on me Mm. down the line to me, I think that's really important to get people thinking about the big picture of these mm. things, especially young kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because they might get given a deal by a famous person. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Like they, yeah. they believe in my music and yeah, amazing, cool, great, wonderful. But mm. like, what do you want? Oh, you know, I, I want to be Billboard number one and winning Grammys and like, yeah. okay, cool. Sweet. Let's, let's put you in a position where you can, yeah, we, you can actually make that happen and there's not going to be things that prevent that from happening yeah because yeah. you know you, it's up to you whether that happens or not and even then there's a bit of bit of luck involved mm. you know, but, mm. yeah if you're if you're persistent consistent determined something's mm. gonna happen sign it off i like that there <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's real yeah thank <clears> you so <throat> much for coming and having a chat and you know and giving everyone that's going to listen to the podcast an introduction to what you do. And we hope we can build a relationship, especially like with Crescendo as well, just mm. to, you know, for all of us to keep upskilling and, you know, spread the word about this kind of thing to make it less daunting and more exciting by learning about about the industry from the inside. It's really cool. So thanks yeah. for coming through. Hey, thanks for having yeah. me, guys. Thank yeah, you so much. It. Yeah, I appreciate you, bro. You have been listening to The Way Through by Crescendo Studio. Your hosts were Rhys Muir and David Arthur. Sound design and engineering by Rhys Muir. Produced by Joanne Luxton. Crescendo Studio offers music, audiobook and podcast production. And all proceeds fund youth music mentoring programs. 